Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning we have a very special guest made by Jim Bob, Mr. Jim Bob himself, the man behind the artwork and the social commentary. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Joining us from Colorado today. Yep. Yep. Cool. Awesome. I grew up in Colorado. Oh, really? What part? I went to Chatfield High School in Little Town called Littleton, Colorado. Mm-hmm. It's in Jefferson County, yeah, kind of southwest Denver. So. Nice, yeah. And where are you now? <clears throat> Orange County. Yeah, L.A. Moved out of here twenty years ago to go to grad school, and uh, I I didn't go back. I thought I was going to go back, but I didn't go back. And I never ever saw myself out here in L.A. Never. I remember driving down the highway here in 1999 to go to Disneyland for the first time. And I was so, I, I could not believe people lived like this. Uh, I was pretty traumatized, but then now I'm here. So, yeah, well, I've been uh, following and my team has been following uh, your artwork and social commentary for, it, it has been several years. I know that because I looked at a Facebook memory and it was like 2018 and uh your one of your pieces was up just a couple of days ago actually it was and uh from 2018 on the memories um i forget which one it was i really should have had my stuff together and had uh, show, been able to shown it but uh i it was uh sh- it was shared by one of our organizations that we started here and it had a lot of reactions. It seems like you have a lot of engagement. Have you been censored? Yeah, lots. I'm on my fourth Instagram account. Oh my <clears throat> Back then, 18. Actually, it was uh, just this last year. I had hit uh, 115,000 followers on Instagram. And then uh, I started making fun of vegans. And then oh somehow that was, the, that was the thing. <clears throat> so they deleted me. And then I started another, obviously another one. I'm on my fourth now. So but it's cool because it's uh, it, it filters down uh, the people who are dedicated and the loyal people who will find me. And, and that's the kind of people I definitely want to keep around. So, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of serves a purpose in a way. Wow. You're now you're on your fourth account. You mm-hmm. had 115,000 followers. Yep. How many do you have now on your fourth one? Seven thousand. Oh my gosh, you already have seven thousand. So, how do you come up with the new names? Because you have to have oh. a new name, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I the <laughs> name I'm with now is made by Jim Bob with two B's at the end. I think I might just add B's. Uh, this <laughs> gets ridiculous because the numbers are easy to for them to foresee and then and delete me anyway. So, I might go with B's. Um, I switched. One account was mad by Jim Bob because I all these people were mad at me. So I thought oh. that was that played well for a while, mad by Jim Bob. And so um yeah, What's the so, highest you ever got as far as um the followers. Probably that my first account was about uh was <clears throat> over 115, 15,000. And then my second account got up to like 35 pretty quickly because I had anticipated being deleted. And then uh, it just keeps shrinking down. So uh, that first time you were deleted, um, 
How long ago was that? That was probably six months ago. Okay. Uh, but I've been I've been censored before, just not. They used to just put you in timeout, you right? Know, Facebook and Instagram. Now they just delete you. They just don't even tell don't you e- why. No. Oh wow. So I just anticipate that. Um, you know, the first time it was it was kind of like demoralizing, but I think that's their plan is to demoralize you. Mm. And so it doesn't work because people, they follow you. They'll, they'll it has find the you opposite again. effect. It does. Yeah. So now it's yeah. just kind of a fun badge, you know, did I mean, you make, have a, did you have an emotional reaction the very first time you got put it time out? Did oh, you yeah. have, what was your emotional reaction? Well, when they first started banning me, um, I was definitely still maybe a little more libertarian in a way. Um, about free speech and all this stuff. And um, I kind of changed my view a little bit on that uh, just as a father Mm. um, where I'm not an advocate for government censorship, but I do understand community guidelines and like you have that in your own community, you have that in your family, you hold up some standard. I just disagree with the standard of these progressive technocrats, but I don't disagree with standards. Right. So, yeah. I, it seems to be a little bit of a cultural overlap between maybe centrists and Republicans and even Republicans get caught in this thing where they start mm-hmm. defending any kind of speech. And then you're like, well, that's not really what we're arguing only from a, from a government perspective, but not from right. a c- community or, or let's say, um, you know, a, just a platform you own. And so, um, I've just looked at that and I go, okay, now I just accept I'm going to cross their lines. I don't even need them to tell me what I did. I just assume it's arbitrary because their whole worldview is arbitrary. And Mm -hmm. so uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised anymore. I think that that's the freedom that people like myself and and many others who get censored should, should take that approach. So they're not disempowered by it or complaining or appealing back to the system. They actually disagree with anyway. So, you know, I just go, Oh, I got censored again. That's just an indication of that. I'm hitting a target. So, um, whereas wow, that's a really healthy way to look at it. Holy yeah. Cow. Yeah. And getting a following might actually indicate the opposite. You know, you might get comfortable and broaden your attack in my, in, in my work. It's all about attacking a, a target and doing it effectively. And in a small little image. Right. So if I just suddenly gain 200,000 followers, it broadens, it, it almost has this subconscious p- potentially uh, effect on your work where you start mm-hmm. getting softer and, yeah. and spreading more of the butter across the bigger yeah, portion yeah. of the bread. And it's, and I don't want that. I want to stay fresh and um, true to myself and true to what I'm saying and, and uh, take the, um, the punishment for when I say something that uh, doesn't jive well, because that happens with my following anyway. It's not like I need to wait for Twitter or I'm not on Twitter, really. Uh, Instagram yeah. and these places to be like, man, I'll post something that has some level of division, causes some level of division within my own audience. Right. Who, you know, they'll start going, <laughs> yeah. why are you why are you making fun of this guy? Or, yeah. I'm like, I don't. I've seen I've seen a, a few little cracks at I think Ben Shapiro. Sure, and, sure. Yeah. Well, actually, those were cartoons. Were you doing the voices? Uh, yeah, I did the voices. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah I did. How the long voices. does it take you to do that? Um, I'm pretty quick with that. Part, the, the technology part. now is really cool. Um, so I wow. can draw 
I could draw all the characters and they call call them puppets. And then uh, they're put into a system and they have this system now, like Adobe character where you can just, as long as you create the art first, you can stand in front of the camera and the cartoon will actually mimic you live. So wow. it'll mimic your mouth. And so as long as you can do the bit and write it well, uh, it's, it's, it's become very easy to do um, rudimentary animation cartoons and stuff. Do you write it out or do you just perform just, it? I just perform it. Yeah. It's usually a live stream. I've gotten into this format where people just ask through Super Chat, Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson or any of these other people that I impersonate uh, questions. And yeah, then I'll Jordan just Peterson go on a, too. Yeah. I'll just go on a tear <laughs> and then uh, and then potentially use the audio to to animate, but not always. Well, you have a you have this. I don't know if it's a raw inborn talent that's been cultivated with uh, hard work on your part, obviously, but there has to be this raw inborn talent that you have to, um, to see uh, something in your mind, or maybe you're seeing it that other people can't see something funny. Um, but at the same time, it has a point um, like with, with Ben Shapiro, like <clears throat> the way he talks, I mean, mm -hmm. he does sound like a robot. Sometimes he, mm -hmm. he does. He talks so fast. I don't know how anybody can follow him for more than like five minutes. I mean, I like what he's saying for the most part, but just the way he, the way he says it is so um, abrasive sometimes. Yeah. That, uh, it's that, not very, it's not very personalized. It's like, no. um, and that might just suit the things could, he's saying and the, you know, it's all statistics and facts and stuff. And right. You know, he gets in a little into philosophy. If, if someone else is on the, his show with him, maybe they'll go into some, some more of that stuff but uh yeah for the most part it's relaying uh information it's information based yeah that's right yeah he's uh i mean i don't think of him as somebody i could have a cigar with right. and just chill out and and talk talk shop or even have a socratic dialogue with that was i don't think helpful. so I, I agree with that yeah i think he's um you know Jordan Peterson is an interesting guy too. I, I think I feel like he's autistic or something. I don't know what it is, but he's he's so I, intense. I think I think both of them might be. Uh, yeah, you think so? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I think even more so. Ben Shapiro would be kind of maybe not maybe Aspergers or something. Some something where he's. Yeah, it's right. not just. It's just not how he is. It's it's his. He even admitted like if he went to a party, he'd be in the room. So he's very. Mm -hmm. He's got the antisocial part yeah there's something right. awkward about the social cues that he does and mm -hmm. doesn't pick up on and you know it's probably <laughs> no fault of his own uh but nonetheless it's observable uh peterson is more like like stuck in his head like yeah. you can't access him because one little question can send him off into like infinite answers for one simple question like what's an orange yeah. you know? <laughs> you know like you can't get a simple thing and uh, and both of those guys I say played a role in my um, my drift away from liberalism, because, again, I, I lived in L.A. for 15 years, worked in. Oh, I didn't know that. In that world and and uh, left there when I had a child and, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro <laughs> and sort of classical liberalism, Ayn Rand, Jordan Peterson, um, that whole it acts as a raft, a safe raft away from the sinking uh, Democrat ship. Right. Yeah. But then you can't be yelled at for being a Republican. Right. So you're safe in this little capsule um, where you're, you're basically chanting classical liberal 
views, you know, enlightenment philosophy and stuff, but it's not necessarily um, fulfilling or grounding on its own, I, I realized. And so even though they helped me get away from, you know, the blue haired commie who's in debt at the, at the school, they're almost like a low hanging fruit now to me. And so yeah, right. I graduated yeah, I totally past that. that. And that's what permits me to even make fun of someone like Shapiro or Peterson, because I just keep pushing the worldview. Like what's ultimate, what's ultimately the basis for why we're claiming we should go one direction. Right. Or other. right yeah. And you can't um, very philosophical. Yeah. You can't all, you can't escape the, um, like none of us are religiously neutral in a way because we're mm. assigning some level of divinity to some, whether it's human dignity or um, what we ought to pursue in the world, how culture should be, um, how we should guide children, what we should protect our children from. These are constant. And, and these people would call them the like a cultural war, right? Ben Shapiro mm. would say we're fighting a cultural war. And, and that's true. <laughs> and that's true. But yeah, actually, there's remember Breitbart he used to say, yeah, uh, politics are downstream from culture. Right. So if you if you <laughs> develop a culture that permits, let's say, abortion at one week old or whatever, if, if you can get the culture to agree with the premise, then you could do legislation. So politics, you know, is just the answer, call and response to what's already acceptable in culture. But, yeah. But he missed the. <laughs> But he missed the question of like, what's culture downstream from them? It must be philosophy and theology, because um, there's no real separation between um, making an ought claim in the world. You know, we should not abort babies. You know, that's an ought claim or we should protect um, uh, privacy and property like, uh, you know, even from the libertarian or anarchist view, you're still fundamentally in metaphysics and philosophy you're making these claims that aren't actually found in the physical world right and so once i started seeing that with my own views i was like oh i can actually attack any particular section of politics or culture because my loyalty isn't to a color you know right. i would say right. my politics are right-wing uh republic-based not that means republican necessarily these <laughs> days but republic-based Mm -hmm. And um, and nationalists like protect nation, ac accumulate your your preference, your in-group preferences and your culture and your traditions within the, the state or the 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 nation itself. Um, but yeah. those things are very limited in your life. They don't uh, right. fulfill all these other aspects like um, they don't. Yeah. Politics doesn't fill the void of religion or, or, or God or prayer or um, communion. Right. You know, and these things. And so I started confronting that stuff. And actually, even though it cut free a bunch of like, I don't know, like we could call them fence sitters. Um, it really. It, it, Did it, you see your numbers go down? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but that would there's no telling when people abandon ship like you'd be surprised. They'll do something questioning NASA and I'll lose a thousand followers, you know, just by oh, questioning. Wow the wow. dogma of, of NASA, you know? And so it gets interesting as far as like uh, the unpredictability of, of when you hit a target and what kind of response you're going to get. Hmm. But I do know that I'm always going to get some level of, of a response. I'm always hitting some button or some irritated part of the cultural body. 
it is it is amazing if you if i just sit and think about it which i have <laughs> it just looking at your cartoon i i'm amazed at first of all i'm amazed that you captured in such few strokes what somebody looks like so that that right there i'm like that that's mao it's totally mao i'm looking at it mm -hmm. and it you know, and first of all, I'm glad that you know who Mao is because a lot of my students don't even know who that is. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I had this uh, one uh, interaction at Pepperdine when I was teaching there. I taught there for over a decade in Malibu. And um, <clears throat> it's a Christian school, allegedly. Um, so one of the uh, issues was uh, some students were upset at Chick-fil-A there or something for a while because of because the guy that started Chick-fil-A thought that marriage was a man and a woman. And I was like, okay, well, there's a, there's a restaurant in Venice beach, just, just to get you uh, situated here. It's called Mao's kitchen. It's, it's dedicated to Mao Zedong. His picture is right above the cash register. It's the same Mao. And my, on my undergrad in, was in Chinese. There's only one Mao. I mean, it's like, it's like if it was hit, if it was Hitler's kitchen and you're asking if it was, it's the same, well, the reason I go into that is because one of the students is like, is it the same Mao? I was like, yeah, it's the same Mao. It's, there's only one guy. Yeah. It's like, it's like George Washington is Washington, DC. Is, are we sure it's George Washington? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's George Washington. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so um, he's pretty big. He's a pretty big guy over there in, in China. And uh, you know, um, so he, uh, so it's, it, I Googled how many people did Mao kill and put it up on the screen. It was somewhere between 45 million and 78 million. You know, there, there's some disagreement, you know, but it's tens of millions of people, right? Not to mention like rape and all sorts of other stuff. Mm -hmm. The students still thought that Chick-fil-A was worse because, and then the reason they said is because he discriminated. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, that's when I was like, these kids are so lost. But anyway, There's, they don't even know who Mao was. No, they're very lost. Also, the, the irony you, is that you had you had his face. And I was like, you know yeah. who he is. You had his face in those few strokes. It's amazing how you do the <coughs> you, you do the you do the emotion so well with like the eyes mm. <laughs> and just like just the way the eyes are. It's like you can just see you communicate i don't know how you do it but it's an inborn talent or i don't know were you an artist in la yeah i was always an artist growing up so i was always drawing i just didn't know what to say until the last like five six years do you have a background in philosophy uh, uh no i'm uh, very very novice in um <clears throat> philosophy and logic but i'm it's to my advantage because i can you know if you get too far in philosophy you might end up you know into this like relativist nihilistic view like philosophy doesn't get you to god in other words um uh, it could get you to faith it can get you to justify your faith um but i try not to get too far into philosophy um it's a useful tool but i just i know just enough to properly um discern absurdity in in the world in culture and uh and be able just, to reflect just on it. your own read just on your own yeah. reading or did you have a good class in it or uh, just reading and like reading. being exposed to certain people. There's a, there's an Orthodox Christian popular guy named Jay Dyer. He's uh, he's definitely helped a lot with his videos and his assessments of culture and where all of this stuff goes. And cool. so uh, minor influence, but once you get it, you know, everybody, if you're using logic, 
um, and aware of it and you start reasoning, you know, mm-hmm. based on what you're seeing in the world and the, and the claims and the ridiculousness, I feel, I feel like you're automatically doing some level of philosophy just by observing the world through a proper logical lens. I think you'll end up doing some philosophy without even knowing it. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's pretty good. I mean, you seem like you're pretty solid. You're actually more solid than some of the students I have. Uh, that's actually that have actually taken classes. So, oh yeah, you teach you teach philosophy, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, logic and philosophy, and that's one of the things I try to get through is that uh, I try to get people to to see through relativism mm. for what it is, and. Um, Certainly in politics, like you're saying, politics doesn't replace religion. I, I'm not sure if I got the exact quote. I try to take enough notes, but yeah. um, to describe this accurately. But um, yeah, it seems like the people on the left are more willing to have uh, re- their religion be politics. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why that is. I guess it's because they don't believe in God for the most part, or they create God in their own image. Yeah. I think think that the latter is it. I think they were, I think the main distinction at its real core, you can pull back any particular worldview and go, Oh, you're worshiping the creation. You're trying to ground all of these things into the world itself. So it's a form of like paganism. It's a form of humanism. And so that's what they teach. I mean, most of it, I mean, unfortunately the teachers, um, outnumber you (laughs) um um, in this academia like from from childhood i mean you're you're already raised with a humanist view a a naturalist view a view that um the consequences of which are uh, that you're a speck of dust and the meaningless void right and we're going nowhere and so you better define your progress here and now in your life and uh try to secure it in the physical um but even that falls apart with relativism the the problem with the, um, the the left and the progressives is that they actually seek and desire foundations, right? They they infiltrate foundations. They yeah. they want the marriage, they want the school, they want the family, but they want to invert it, but still have it. But their starting point is that there's no truth, and so how can yeah. you pro- progress anywhere very, if truth is relative? You can't. It's a very awkward. That's a very awkward foundation starting the conversation with there's no truth mm-hmm. that's just that's just a loser yeah. foundation um i i have a lot of fun with that in the classroom um i do different voices too like i'll i'll act out um like i'll i'll change it to a froggy voice to do the relativist mm-hmm. i'll say uh you know there is no truth you know and i'll that's I'll, good i'll i'll do it so fast that they don't even know mm-hmm. like i it was me that said it like they, they're like, wait, who was that guy? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, trust me, that's true. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, see, there is no truth. Trust me, that's true. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it all falls apart. You know, take two <laughs> seconds to see through that. But a lot of people can't. But I think it's because they're so distracted and it's even getting worse with social media, actually. Yeah, what I love distracted. about mm-hmm. Well, what I was going to say, what I love about what you do is your I think your main platform is Instagram for obvious reasons, because, mm. well, it's a, it's pictures mainly. Mm. And um, the picture speaks a thousand words because you can look at the thing and sometimes you have multiple frames, but you, you can look at the thing. And it prompts reflection. 
like any good meme, I think prompts some thought, like at least 30 seconds. And it's very rare if you're looking at just a, you know, picture on Instagram, a photo, it's kind of rare that it would prompt any reflection. They're just kind right. of looking, you know, people just are scrolling, but when you come to yours, I have to, I have to believe that most people stop and they, the, the quickness of social media, the lack of attention span of social media for that moment is stopped for them mm-hmm. because they're thinking that's right. what I, that's why I wanted to have you on is Cause I I'm, I'm amazed that you can use that medium for something that goes against the bad tendencies, I think of social media, which is to make people have a lower attention span. I think actually your stuff increases attention span a bit kind of there's room to breathe. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously it makes people mad, (laughs) but, but it it also makes people, uh, laugh and makes people it always makes people think i always look at your stuff and think about it even if i don't have a reaction to any uh, a particular one Mm -hmm. um you know i might not have a reaction but Mm -hmm. um it always makes me think about something which is what i appreciate about what you do yeah i think uh most media is consumption and so there's no when you when you come upon a chocolate cake that's a beautiful photo there's no is this true or false, right? There's no entailment or claim in it. It's not a proposition. And so right. the what makes my stuff different is, um, you know, and I think a lot of comics do have this, some don't, um, where the viewer isn't quite sure of what's being said. And so they have to figure that out. Yeah, but then they have to true. figure out if they agree with it or not. And so yeah, yeah. I think that's what the or format they should itself. agree with it. Right, right. That, that's an interesting thing. Or if they should, like right. maybe they initially don't. Like the Shapiro thing or whatever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it is, I always laugh at that one. Every time you do those, those, uh, I'm amazed that you're able to do it, but, but yeah, yeah. What you were saying. Yeah. You do, you give them the opportunity to participate. And so there's not much participation. If you see, you know, a girl's ass or like, (laughs) you know, a piece of cake or some squirrel suit guy jumping off a cliff or whatever. And you're like, you know, I think it is the call and response. It's the fact that there's a dialogue happening and you have to process it and see, you put it, you know, you have to gather what's being, what's the lens, what's the context of this thing. Whereas other stuff is just content. It's almost context irrelevant. You're just like, that's a beautiful photo. Okay. You know, move on. Is, is there anybody that does similar comparable work on the left that you're aware of? Because no. I'm not aware of anybody on the left. No, I don't think they can do it. I mean, they could try to use the format and invert it. Um, but because they have no basis for truth, um, they can't do it in perpetuity. They could do something culturally relevant, like make fun of Trump or something, but only yeah. superficially can they. They can't really attack philosophy or worldviews. Uh, and that's what I attack is um, at a paradigm level, not at a particular level inside a system, because that's that becomes easy, but fruitless because, uh, you know, you're only, you're not challenging anything because you're only catering to people inside the paradigm you already agreed with. And so I attack sometimes paradigms, which is why I'll get some people accusing me of like infighting or like, why don't you make fun of AOC instead of like, you know, Peterson, he's doing great work. And I'm like, because I attack truth, you know, that's my position. It's not, 
politics or, you know, if you're still arguing against the, you know, <laughs> the, the, you know, the blue haired shaved head, uh, those poor souls who are just mm. lost, right. Lost in debt, lost in their, their view. They don't have any play. They have no real foundation. So that's gotta be hell hellish. Um, mm. So once so you, you have, graduate past that, like you have compassion on them after. A while, oh, absolutely. Right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a, usually the left that thinks of themselves as Miss, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Compassionate. Now it's mm-hmm. not. Now there's a third option, mm-hmm. apparently, of Mr. and Mr. But Mr. and Mrs. But uh, yeah, totally. yeah, I'm just like, I can't keep up with it anymore. I'm just like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Uh, there's nobody on the left doing this with this kind of a medium. And you're you gave a very thoughtful answer to that. And I, I I'm going to have to mull that one over. That's that's fascinating because I've always thought about why isn't there a parallel person on the left that's doing it? and that has. And what I mean by that is there's a coherent set of stuff that you can go back years and look and it and it makes sense and it hangs together like yours does. You go back years, I think. And mm-hmm. and I can see it's pretty much it it all hangs together. It's not like one contradicts another. And the left, I don't know. I, I feel like the left doesn't have a sense of humor, too. They can't because humor is based also on truth. So they can only do um, insult humor, which is only superficially funny. But I mean, I, you know, doing comedy, like if you if you go up on stage and you say a premise, right, that, you know, that's mm-hmm. how that's the format. You say a premise you act out the the joke of the premise. Um, and so that's the punchline. But a premise is like, you know, the, let's take a cliche version. Uh, how about, you know, everyone hates airports. You know, everybody agrees. Okay. They know the context. And so the, yeah. the left and progressives can't set a premise because a premise requires something that is nearly absolute or at least universally true. And so you can't do it. And that's why comedy, when it when it was doing well, was designed to unify um, particular sides of politics through the lens of that they're equally ridiculous in ways, or they're equally valid in ways, or um, hmm. this kind of view where the they're actually merging the two and and they're both targets under the comedian's uh, eye, and so that kind of went away because they started making rules for comedians. But I think yeah. what you were pointing to it really is rooted in comedy is that you need a premise in order to tell a joke. And if you don't have a premise that's solid, that's true, it doesn't have a resonance of truth. It's just going to be, all you're going to do is get nervous laughs from people who already agree with you, what you kind of mean. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, Trump's a jerk. It's like, right. Premises. But is that funny though? It's not right. really funny. Yeah. Is it funny? Or do you just kind of nervously agree with it or something, you know? And, yeah. Or you're laughing angrily and I don't right. even know how you do that. Right. Right. How yeah, can like you laugh? Vengeful. Angrily? Yeah. Vengeful giggling. It's not yeah. really laughter. No, it's not that's, joy. That's very, yeah. That's very insightful. Uh, humor was intended to unify. Mm-hmm. That's true because <clears throat> you have a, you have a crowd in front of you. You don't know who they are. If something's funny, it's got to be funny to at least most people in the room. Otherwise, it's just uh, like a, you, you mentioned uh, uh, a kind of humor. You said there was different kinds of humor. One one was um, insult humor, I think mm-hmm. you said. Mm-hmm. Insult humor. 
is uh is that really humor or what what do you mean by insult it's, humor? I would say it's rhetoric. So rhetoric can be funny. You can use insult comedy, you know, make fun of um you know, Bill Gates and his posture and and just his hand movements and you could mock someone and still uh convey some element of truth even though it's um um what what deep. would you say if someone said that's what you do? I do some of that, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a that's a choice. That's like um, you just don't want to make your entire thing that it's like a tool. It's like a, you know, ultimately logic, philosophy and, and the and the memes themselves are like the sword. And then uh, insulting is like a dagger. You just use it sparingly as uh, rhetorical. Sparingly. OK. Yeah. What, what would you say you mostly use instead of hum- insult? Humor? Logic, 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 humor uh well yeah is that what you call it no i don't know if i would call it that i guess just uh normal humor um that's not that doesn't include an insult would just be humor so in other words you're pointing to something ironic or something uh i would say uh reductio absurdum i would i'm appealing to the absurdity of the you know okay so I, so that might actually show up just by the person reading it. So if I, I can present something that demonstrates the absurdity or the absurdity of the contrary, if I can do either of those in one meme, I'm pretty sure someone will laugh because people laugh at contradictions and absurdity. That's a, that's interesting. People laugh at contradictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fish out of water. Something's funny. Um, it might be even not funny at a deep, meaningful level, but just uh, apparently funny because of the the uh, the um, contrast. You know, something it's something. Almost like, it's like thought slapstick. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A thought, a thought falling down the stairs like Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, or yeah, something. yeah. I guess people get um, they might not feel uh, attacked, but a part of their thinking might be attacked and then they have like a ticklish response to it where, where you're like presenting something that doesn't actually make sense, but it makes sense that it's presented that way, you know, mm-hmm. you it know, that's, sense, yeah. that's the absurdity part, which is uh, that's why I, my recent book of uh, volume three is called the subtitle is cultura ad absurdum, you know, and because I'm trying to uh, create a, a time capsule of the absurdity of the last two years in particular. Hmm. There's a lot there. Oh yeah. What's a, you, you, you said you had three books. Yeah. The first two are sold out. I'm on my third. Uh, so wow. I do them in volume savage memes, one, two, and three. And so um, I have a, some left of my third, but the first two, they, they sold out. Uh, are you going to ever have reprint prints of them? Uh, I might do a reprint of like the best of all three. Um, but, uh, as far as reprinting volume one, probably not. It's just one of those little golden collectibles. I only printed seven fifty, So 750. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, did you have the vintage kind of thing in mind when you did it? Like originally, so that, no. you know, like you were thinking 50 years in advance that there's some used bookstore and it's like behind glass and it's $10,000. Uh, no, but that if that happened, that would be funny. Um, no, I just <laughs> that was appropriate number for what 
what I believed my, my reach was. And so gotcha. it's pretty accurate. I probably could have done a thousand when I look at it now, but now everybody's asking for volume one. And so, but they're only asking because there are, there are, there aren't any in a way. So yeah. they, they hear that basic, it's limited basic, basic economics. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's interesting. Uh, what was it like to do the, the book? Is it a lot of work to actually, uh, pu- did you self publish it? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I go through our company, but we, um, me and my wife, my wife does a lot of the design, uh, work. They, so as long as I produce the amount uh, that I need and, and picking and choosing which ones make it in and make it and not make it in are usually the hardest uh, part for me. But then, um, I don't do a lot of the, the, uh, the in computer labor. She does that and she does a great job. I think she uses InDesign. So it's all format based, uh, getting the format right. But now that we have the format since volume one, we pretty much just place the images mm-hmm. at this point. And in terms of printing the book, how long does that take to get it out? Uh, I, mean, I mean, normally it's six to eight weeks. Um, but this time, you know, I released the book and then uh, all this Corona nonsense uh, shut down a lot of supply and shipping and stuff. So it was, it was kind of a, that was unfortunate because that, that coincided also with me being deleted. So I released the book volume three while I had 115,000 followers and then I got deleted and shipping. And it was, it was a lesson. So is this kind of thing where you put it on your credit card and store it in your garage and then you uh, mail it out yourself. Yeah. Or... Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And how do you figure out the price point of that book? Uh, I just figured it out just by um, looking at what I think people would pay for it. Um, being that I made it considering what it is. Um, and as long as, you know, it's a, it, it is a business, so, you know, it can't yeah. lose money. Um, and so I, right. you know, it's pretty much arbitrary actually uh, when you come yeah. down to it. It's just that it's better. Must be nice to have the kind of fan base that you have where you could, you feel like you could just arbitrarily slap a number on them. Yeah. I do it with paintings too. Um, Cause I'll paint memes. I'll do a full on acrylic, you know, 20 by 20 of some, some of the memes that I do. Well, that's a I've good done. idea. And so that's actually very rewarding for me. Um, books are cool. You physical object in your house, you know, it can't be deleted unless you burn it. But doing like yep. physical stuff, like I've done, started doing watercolors of my images wow. now. And so that's pulling me into a whole new fun direction of, of physicality, which I really, you know, the irony is that most of my existence is on this digital platform, but uh, yeah. all of my, my joy comes from turning it into a physical thing. Like you have something behind you. Is that one yeah. of the ones that you painted? Yeah, this is uh, one of my the first ones. I, I thought, hey, what if I paint my images um, as a guy? And he's so you're saying, just reproducing. That's not like a, I don't even know the technical terms, but it's not a I, I, I'm going to screw this up. Yeah, print. Yeah. I was going to say hand painted. Else. No, hand painted. Yeah. Yeah, all hand painted. All How long did it take you to do that? Um, I could knock one of those out now and. um like the first layer of everything in like two hours. And then I have to keep touching it up over time. Wow. But it's enjoyable. I mean, sit around with coffee and play music and hang out and, and paint. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll take photos of it in process. And so people can see, you know, how, how it's going. Yeah. There's, 
the getting the words in there that because i i mean you wouldn't believe i actually like think about this kind of stuff when i look mm-hmm. in there i was like you get the words in there that's kind of hard to do figuring out the spacing exactly mm-hmm. what you're going to say yeah. and then you got to make sure the bubble is big enough so you can fit it in there so it doesn't look crappy yeah like you're just stuffing words in there <laughs> like yeah. some of these uh like some of these birthday cards i used to get where you know they're writing off the side of the page but yeah, how do you a, figure out that? Um, that's just from practice. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't know if you know this. I'm a weekly contributor to the Washington Examiner for these cartoons. Oh, and I didn't so know that. When I first started, this is like over two years now, I think, um, you know, my editor was like, do you want to establish and like uh, use a, a typeface where you type it and it's, it's super like the same every time? And we were discussing it and I chose to write my own letters. And so... It was actually um, because of that, I established, you know, a more consistent writing and uh, and a, an ability to assess the bubbles and stuff uh, through practice. But I don't I think I wouldn't have had that if I had gone the computer way where I just type and choose a typeface. I like the sloppiness of a handwritten uh, letter. I like that the H's, the E's aren't exactly the same, but they're close enough. Oh, so luckily cool. he let he let me do that. You sound like you are uh, I, I'm trying to, I grew up around a bunch of Mormons and originally I thought, I wonder if this guy's a Mormon. Then mm-hmm. you mentioned you were drinking coffee. I was like, okay, I'm trying to, do you mind uh, talking a little bit about your, any sure. religious uh, background that you had growing up or anything? Did you grow sure. up in church? <clears throat> I grew up uh, uh, in a born again, Christian uh, household and church. And so um, it was very, very Bible based, but no, not Mormon. Um mm-hmm. And so I went to like gospel, I think a gospel church growing up, a lot of music, uh, loud, active. Um, and then uh, I obviously, you know, with a lot of people in their 20s, they start to abandon those foundations and structures because they think they're God. So uh, I did that, for, you know, when I went to L.A. at like 22. And then, uh, yeah, I was pretty much a transhumanist, a futurist, a nihilist at the same time, which is a contradiction. Um, just a rel, you know, you're in LA. You just, hey, you do you, man. You know, everything's relative, bro. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I think it was pretty much when I had a kid that I started to, you know, use the the what I call the colander effect, where you you put everything in your life into a colander. And only the necessary uh, parts come out the bottom for being a, a good parent. And you start to see how full of shit you actually are. Excuse my language. <laughs> um, so that was a, I think that's an essential part of becoming a man is confronting what's unnecessary and uh, what's nonsense, what you're not even committed to. And then importantly, what you're willing to, it's almost like you, you see what you believe when you are required to then confront what you're willing to teach your children then you, then you see what you believe. But wow. if you don't, it, I'm not saying you can't, it's just that it's a cal- uh, it's a catalyst. You, you look at this child and you're their guiding force. The, the, the government isn't, uh, the Republican party, isn't going to raise your child, you know, <clears throat> you're raising your child. And so you start to, I think that coincided with my, um, reinvestigation of the things mm-hmm. I determined were false and, and, and God's existence was one of those things. And so it slowly led me back to 
to these places. As I told you, I took a little bit of a centrist view, a libertarian, godless libertarian view. But then, uh, you know, you keep pushing these questions and it ultimately leads you back to an absolute standard and source and um, ultimately God. And so, yeah, I, I came back to that. And now I, um, I'm pretty interested in, in orthodoxy. Uh, I've just visited an orthodox church for the first time. I'm drawn to the tradition. I'm drawn to um, it's it's anti-modernity. A lot of a lot of modernity actually turns me off about churches, even though it could be fun. Right, some, something off to me about uh, you know the drummer behind the it's light weird. shows and smoke. Totally and is tattooed wow. necks, and I'm like, this is un- This is like Unitarianism. This is like something. This is perennialism. This is something else. Even though like it's even a Coldplay if, concert. Yeah, it just doesn't. I like and some people are turned off by the opposite. They go, you know, oh, the just, you know, it's so Catholic looking, whether they're talking about orthodoxy or Catholicism, yeah. the the gold, the the right the dressing, the thing. And I yeah. and I understand that I you know, there was a time where I was as turned off by that. But I also started to honestly confront if the truth about religion, a particular religion, if, if there is a truth, then it wouldn't make sense if they didn't carry the tradition with it. Like if it if it just looked all different every time. So it makes sense that if there is a truth and a chronological, let's say, um, preservation of, in my view, Christ's Christ church, Christ's teaching, not just the accumulation of the, the Torah, Old Testament into the new, but the church itself. How is that? manifest in reality we have to confront these things as as people who believe in god and particularly christians so um you know there's a there's a tendency to just include anyone who just believes in god generally and go yeah. oh you're on my team but then right. not that you should fight those people but no it still doesn't the colander effect again you, you still if you're honest you kind of if if it's true that the the road is actually narrow. It will be divisive in your pursuit of it. And so I'm still on that road. I lean that way. I'm not officially orthodox uh, or anything, but you know, if I keep pushing this stuff, I have, I might end up in a place and I might not, but I'm going to stay on that road of of pursuing it because the things that I, I object to, I realize are very, incredulity it's just it's just my own view or distaste for something but if something's true my distaste can't be an argument against it yeah that makes a lot of sense uh i wanted to go back to something from the beginning when you i think we started talking about censorship and uh i was like so shocked that you were on your fourth account yet i wasn't shocked at all I was, it was an odd mixture of shock and not shock, hard to describe. Um, but I thought my first thought though, which I never got to get out was, uh, it seemed like for many people I know they get shut down on YouTube or censorship somehow they're making money at it and it, it really affects them. It knocks them down like financially. And my first thought was that you seem to be financially independent, like the, that it wouldn't bother you that much. It seemed like it would, didn't bother you. Do you have a, 
are you just a really good businessman and you can just bounce back or, or do you have uh, another way to make a living? How do, how do you handle that shock of, or, mm. or does it not affect your business at all? Uh, now it down? does. Uh, before, when I had a huge account, I was still working. Uh, I was a, a professional gold and metalsmith. So I'm a jewel, oh. I'm a jeweler master. Oh, okay. Um, so I've done that for many years. And so I worked at a place and that was my day job and uh, they didn't, these people didn't even know really what I did on the side as a cartoonist. And when I kept it that way, it's, you know, it's a, it's not good to mix hard politics in your workplace. So I, I get imagine. to sit in my, my bench zone in, make beautiful things, repair beautiful things. Um, and so that was my day job. And, and it was gotcha. only recently until I had, when I had my third child, my son, James, um, wow, that I, I was like, I'm staying home now. And so it's, I've only been full-time home doing what I'm doing uh, since the beginning of March. So now it does affect me. Absolutely. Um, okay. But, you know, getting rid of that safety day job, you know, you, you start to look at it differently. Yes. It's more crucial and um, impactful when I do get censored, yeah. but it also keeps just the fact that I have to do it. I don't have another job. It keeps me um, agile, you know, you know, whereas before, eh, I'll get on something else and, you know, it'll be fine. Uh, now I'm a little more, I have my sixth sense on of how to. Yeah. And you seem to have yeah. another, uh, an awareness of another issue, which I, I wanted to mention was, which you mentioned it already, what was uh, being pure in the sense of your craft and your calling as you, I think you see it right. is to be yourself. And to say, to say the truth as you see it, yeah, not be compromised. In other words, not try to get into the treadmill, I guess, of, um, being popular or, or figuring out kind of the, the cues of what you're supposed to now do. Yeah. Like the the pander wheel. Yeah. Well, if you have another job, it's easier to just kind of do your own thing. And I, I feel the same way because as a professor, I, there, I could not help, but ha- there's politics in my workplace. I mean, it's actually the opposite of what you think of as a professional environment. I mean, it's, you know, you know, you maybe go into Wells Fargo or whatever, uh, you know, someone that's flipping burgers at McDonald's doesn't have to deal with the kind of stuff I'm dealing with, which is on every single door, there's some kind of crazy ultra left wing thing communicating that we're all inclusive and yet you're not included mm-hmm. you know uh and just that's just my life so i've had to kind of like now that i've started this podcast like think okay what i really don't like the inclusion diversity equity um rhetoric because mm-hmm. i think it's false mm-hmm I, I don't think it's really inclusive. I don't think that people are really interested in equity. Um, I think they're just pandering to tuition payers. And, you know, I'm going to say that on the podcast, but it might hurt my ability to get a job because everybody's supposed to say the same thing, like right. robots, like, right. yeah, diversity, equity, inclusion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I just, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, I was thinking there might be a little attention there now that you have your own business or you that really makes, uh, I guess it's on your radar. So you, you know, you, you're not going to be, do you feel like you have any 
now that you have you need this to work that you have you're tempted to hold back uh no i but um there is an element of just who i want what kind of person i want to be that coincides just with my growth as a person like you know i don't want to be i'm 41 i don't want to be um you don't look uh, a day over 40 to me oh thanks (laughs) i want to reduce any sort of like indecency cussing uh if I can try to try to minimize some of that. Um, so that, but that's less about censorship. It's just more about like, you know, getting a, a nice grounded concern for place. your kids. Yeah. And everything like that. And to just represent what I believe. And it's like, and some of these things are sometimes difficult to navigate. For instance, I have a YouTube, I, I stream on YouTube and um, I had um, this person who called themselves, Brenda jump on you don't see their face and clearly it was a man and so I had this like this interesting dialogue and I was confronted with the the smaller battle of like refusing to refer to this person as a woman but at the same time the name was Brenda so I was dealing with having to use the word Brenda over and over again and not uh say she because it's like if I say Mm -hmm. she I'm a traitor and I realized that that was like a, a very small um battle to choose and what Mm -hmm. a a better battle and from the from my christian view is that the better battle is to interact with this person like they're made in the image of god and Mm -hmm. they have kindness and they're they might be have some truth and and to treat them not cater to their in my view a delusion but cater to their that their to their humanity and so it was actually a good eye opener to everything else I, I've been interacting with since is that it's not always uh, how you act online and what you're capable of saying and doing online is is totally inconsistent many times with how you would normally behave in person. And right. And, and this right. is as close as we get in person online and this this kind of interaction. And yep. I, yeah. I think it also opened up a lot of eyes for people who follow me where you don't need to just attack these people and be like you're delusional you're satanic you're these are things that you earn when you know someone like the right the level of attack you're permitted or that that even can be heard is dependent on your interaction with a person and their personhood and their energies and like the things you know about them and there's trust gained you can't just hit them with the christian gavel it doesn't work actually and so I learned that too. And um, that's kind of parallel to this, how you float through this thing. If this is in fact my job, how do you preserve your, your function, hold your ground on your convictions, but also interact with people you diametrically oppose? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. How did that change your interaction with Brenda then? uh well i I, choose to do i compromised and just called brenda brenda and then yeah yeah and so if if you know because the thing is you can get reported just by like misgendering so right fighting the war of mis doing that there's a way to avoid doing it but also avoid calling them what they think they want to be called you can just call them and so i that was my that's true yeah yeah just go that's a good compromise i think that that makes a lot of sense there's a lot of substance behind that in our tradition actually because you can change your name anybody can change their name right um, you can change it to 
uh, like an email address if you want. I don't. No one's ever done that before. There's no at signs in anybody's name yet, but but uh, you could you could put yep. numbers in your name. Yep. Um, so I can't wait for people to figure out that they can do that. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I've had the same issue with in like a class, like when when the Caitlyn Jenner thing happened, and a lot of my students were going out of their way to say the pronoun instead of the name. And it was almost like this battle between, are you going to say the name or the pronoun? And I don't know if they were aware of it. They probably weren't, but, but I, I did say the name, but then I said the male pronoun mm-hmm. <laughs> because I said, I said, you know, well, we were talking about identity. It's a technical issue in philosophy mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a is identical to B if they have all, all and only the same properties. And so it's a little puzzling with people because people develop over time. So the, the uh, person a at time in 2016, how, how can that be person B in 2018? Mm-hmm. Because person a, maybe this one's 50 pounds heavier than this one, but mm-hmm. they're the same person. At least, you know, that's how I normally, we think of commonsensically, we think of persons as per during through time. They don't. Right. Change. Right. Yeah. They, so, yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So what makes you the same person as like, then this gets into like all sorts of public policy stuff like abortion, like what makes you the same? So typically the way I do it is I ask, does anybody have a birthday? And it's such an odd question. Of course, people say, yeah, I have a birthday. Uh, Okay. So that means you were born. Right. And they were like, yeah, I guess I was born. Mm -hmm. You had to be born on that day to have a birthday. So, but then the properties of that little baby, mm-hmm. obviously that wasn't the same thing that came out of your mom's womb. Cause your mom would be dead probably mm-hmm. if that came out of her womb, she'd be right. dead. Right. And so, but you know, that goes to the transgender thing too, because Caitlyn Jenner. So I ask it, did Caitlyn Jenner win the Olympics? Right. And that was an issue because there's all sorts of honors that are bestowed on this person as an athlete. So I just asked, was Caitlyn Jenner in the Olympics? Yeah. Do you retroactively change the past based yeah. on the identity of the of right. the present? There's issues of like wealth. Like how did Caitlyn Jenner get the wealth? Uh, like all those endorsements, all the money from those endorsements. Right. Is that, was that inheritance? Like someone died? Mm-hmm. Who died? You know, so this, these are issues that they never even thought about before. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I actually always uh, refer to that when I argue all sorts of uh, against all sorts of mostly left leaning now, unfortunately, right. The right in some sects have accepted a lot of the the upside downness. Right. And so mm-hmm. but appealing to the law of identity is a really good one because yeah. um, there are things that you can argue without uh, going into the moral arguments, which are important, but they only apply to people who agree that morality exists. If you're arguing with people who are relativists, there's no point. You can catch them on an absurdity by making them admit that there's nothing actually wrong with killing, uh, you know, making baby uh, blended drinks or whatever. Uh, But it's almost but if you appeal to logic, then they have to confront the inconsistency of their own position as opposed to you're right right morally and they need to deal with it. You just again, it's the work I do is uh, drawing out the absurdity. And what you just said is really important because A doesn't equal A. 
you know, you're you're violating the law of identity. And so, Mm -hmm. in fact, it's it's harmful to you, at least pragmatically, because how we interact in the world is largely dependent on how people view us and matching up our identity that we give off and their identify your identity in the world. It's almost like a math problem, like one plus one equals two. If you've been a one, everyone knows me as one and you just change it. People fail to add up the external world if if everybody starts doing that. So if the consequence of everyone changing their identity so arbitrarily, you you this is why the problem uh, logistically, as you see with language, is that the the effects of it is you don't know how to refer to someone. Yeah, it messes up communication. And then if communication is messed up, you can't establish strong trust bonds, which ironically, these these Mm -hmm. the transgender um, issue are these people are isolated and um, ostracized. And yet that's right. By changing your identity and negating the norm, the the norms, right, the cultural norms, linguistic norms, you actually further isolate yourself, um, not just from judgment of people, but actual ability to interact with people in the world uh, is now cut. uh, You're cut from a little bit because the tools that we use are law of identity, language, communication. And so you're basically severing communication by playing these games. um, Yeah, because uh, I have to trust that you're the same person. Uh, Everything is based on that. Contracts are all based on that, that you're going to be the same person that I entered into this contract with. Right. You know, I have to be able to trust you. You're going to pay your lease or whatever it is. Yep. Uh, if you're in a band, like you're a bassist in a band and you have some kind of contract that you get X, Y, Z amount of the, the proceeds of uh, some kind of performance or mm-hmm. or CD or something that goes out. Wow, that's a old reference, CDs. <laughs> yeah. The, the, when I was studying philosophy in graduate school, the, the examples that were used for law of identity like when it comes to persons, you know, it'd be like Superman is Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Clark Kent is Superman. That's why uh, wherever Clark Kent is, that's where Superman was. Not that that's what Lois Lane knew. She didn't mm-hmm. know that. I don't know right. why she didn't know it. He only has his glasses on. It's not like I came home and with my, with, with my glasses off and my wife was like, who the hell are you, mm-hmm. honey? It's yeah. me. Right. You know, she, you know, so it's, it's, uh, the other one is uh, a famous one is uh, Hesperus is phosphorus. Turns out they're both Venus. Uh, and they were just old ways of referring to the brightest star in the, uh, the night sky and the brightest star in the morning sky. Turns out they're not stars. They're, mm-hmm. they're Venus. Right. And then so I use those. It's great in class because I use those. And then the very next one I use is Caitlyn Jenner and Bruce Jenner. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that uh, <coughs> if if Superman is Clark Kent, then you can refer to the same. You can just switch those terms. So I said, so Bruce is in the news. And the, the reaction you get is like, oh, that's not Bruce. That's, that's Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Well, but they're the same person. Right. So you also wonder, could he could Bruce Jenner um, show up one day a week as Bruce and get paid differently for being Bruce than mm-hmm. being you know, you get into multiple identities, multi- multiplicity and stuff. And you, you deal with this and this is reflected in technology, too. And I don't think it's an accident. I think actually this whole gender 
bending stuff that the the whole trans movement the preface is trans and i think it's it's ultimately tied to transhumanism is that that the irony too this is a funny thing is that uh, these new generations are are arguing with you about how they want to be seen and how you should refer to them as being seen so if i'm a half you know if i want to be seen as an elephant unicorn you know I want to be seen that way. And, and so what's interesting is that this metaverse stuff, this whole, the next immersive uh, reality that they're trying to push people into is that someone might uh, establish their avatar and be like, finally, a space I could be myself. I can, I can be who I want to be and have people see me for how I want to be. But <clears throat> the problem is as that world gets a more immersive, the person viewing that elephant unicorn could change them to look like a rock and so there's this um, funny paradox where you're like finally a world i can be seen however i want well the back of the hand is finally a world i can see other people however i want you could be a lamppost i'm not seeing i'm not seeing an elephant unicorn i'm seeing a rock or a refrigerator yeah And, and this is this is how it all falls apart too like this whole movement they can't they can't develop strong foundational bricks because the fundamentals of foundations is that language. There are all these presuppositions, language, meaning, identity over time, induction, um, truth, laws of logic. These all maintain for you to build anything. And so the, uh, the, the contradiction is they're trying to build foundations based again on no truth existing, that everything's arbitrary, that you can change uh, reality at, at a whim. And uh, how could you possibly even develop what one brick is f- for this foundation, let alone the foundation itself? You can't because today, you know, is likely to be like tomorrow. And you, I'll, I'll identify with you as, at least at the universal level, that you're the same person, you know? And then the, the particulars, I think right. that's the difference is that, you know, you know, the problem of the one and the many. Mm-hmm. The problem of universals and particulars. I think that's it kind of plays right into that problem is that, you know, the universal concepts like a circle are true and maintain identity over time. But the particular circle, if you suddenly call it Bruce, you're <laughs> you're still calling a circle Bruce or, or Caitlin, but there's something universally still true. Yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a, a, a hindsight reference point of the change itself. So right. there is a Bruce Jenner. Who then sure. you call circle man history? Man, yeah, man. You know, man. you know, and then you call that something else. But even in the act of calling it something else, you presuppose that it was not that thing at some point, and so yeah. it's a contradiction. Yeah, <clears throat> it's yeah, like man. you're admitting you're admitting the madness of Bruce Jenner and his existence and his past by saying he's changed it. You're appealing that it to that it did was in fact true, and so. That, that seems to be a big problem, even with like I was talking to someone about the general activity of like just trying to distinguish gender from sex. But there's this. Yeah. Again, this other contradiction is, say, a, a man really believes they're a woman and they're saying gender is a creation. Well, it seems odd that if gender in the way women present themselves in society is just a construct, it seems uh, a little bit peculiar that. A man who believes they're a, a woman, but the the act of trying to embody that woman then appeals to gender, the thing that's a construct. So you're like, 
I'm a man, but I think I'm a woman. And therefore I'm going to then dress like a woman, yeah. even though that's a construct, but you're appealing to right. woman, woman again, sex. Yeah. So then you get, then someone, uh, I was arguing with this uh, on a debate or something. And the guy said, well, I would argue most ways women dress themselves up is not a biological thing. It's just an arbitrary. And I said, no, women wear heels to elongate their, their legs and prop up their butt and the hips. And that's a sexual communication. The makeup is a sexual communication. It's men and women trying to attract each other. So there's another right. identity problem with a man who's physically a man believing they're a woman and then dressing up and sending a decoy into the yeah. wilderness, into the that's wild yeah, and sending true. a signal to someone they can't procreate with. So it's Deceptive, a false yeah. signal. And yeah. so they have to navigate through that because if you really were a man physically, but you identify it as a woman, you wouldn't necessarily dress up like a woman. Right. Because that would constitute that there's an established view at a mm -hmm. universal level, what a woman is. Yeah. So there's something totally broken about that whole pursuit. And you see it falling apart. Now people, the logical end of it is that one, how many genders are there infinite? Right. That means there's, there's not, there's none. Infinite right. means none. There are no distinctions. There's, there's mm -hmm. no universal called yeah. a gender then. Right. There's, yeah. there's that. How could you here. ever know what you'd have to know based on some kind of tradition? Right. That's what I tell my students is by my students were like talking about marriage when back when marriage was people trying to change the definition of marriage mm -hmm. and um, that, that the Chick-fil-A thing had to do with that. And mm -hmm. that was just one example, but uh, someone asked me if I believed in traditional marriage and I was like, but what, what do you mean by traditional marriage? Like, I said, look at, look at the dictionary, look under T's for traditional marriage. It's not there. Mm. Look under M. <laughs> they looked under marriage and it was the definition. It was marriages, a uh, union between a man and a woman by which they come out. This was the Oxford English dictionary in 2015. Right. When Obergefell came down. Well, they freaked out. And I, I was like, well, the, this, this definition goes back to Shakespeare and even before, and it's in other languages and stuff. It's, it's, you know, the, the Supreme court can say whatever it wants, but I mean, they can say, now you will talk this other way. Now we, we make you talk this way, but that's not organic language. That's mm -hmm. not that. And I was like, every, every word in the dictionary is traditional, like Apple. You don't say traditional Apple. You just say Apple, mm -hmm. you know, um, well, it, it's, it is a little odd that we, we have to make these clarifications, but um, I guess where I was going with this is um, there is change and that's a little puzzling when it comes to people, mm -hmm. that people change. So you got to sort out between accidental change and essential change. And it's always been the case that we thought of gender is essential. Like that's an essential thing. Doesn't change. It's, it's kind of like, uh, um, I guess the analogy I'm just kind of pulling out of my butt right now is the jewelry. I thought of the jewelry because I know you were a jeweler. Um, if someone's wearing a bracelet, let's say, and the bracelet was able to be, take on the shape of a watch somehow, like it doesn't actually tell time. It doesn't function that way at all, but it mm -hmm. just looks like it tells time. So, it, but it doesn't work. It doesn't, right. it's not actually a watch. Right. Um, and it says, now you will refer to me as a watch. Mm -hmm. 
Right. It's like, well, it's, well, it's function is not it, what you're doing. Yeah. It just, you just look like that. You don't, that's right. not what you really. So, I mean, right. like, for example, like uh, a few years ago, I caught, I got called in the HR department. I've been working at this university, Loyola Marymount in LA for years. I, I graduated from there. They called me into the HR department and they said, we need you to fill out these forms. And I'm like, it's a little late for that. I mean, I've been here for how long they were gender identity forms mm. and rate and racial racial. They didn't know my race. So I said, well, why don't you just fill it out? I mean, you know, you've, you've seen me now, so you could just fill it out. They said, oh, no, we're not, we're not allowed to do that. And I said, and I had a lot of fun with this one. I said, oh, that's interesting. Why is that? Well, because we can't stereotype. We, we have to let you choose your identity based on, you know, and so, you could tell the lady didn't know what she was talking about. She was just making stuff up. And I was totally playing the, like the philosophy professor in the HR, which is a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I said, I said, well, um, I'm going to go by the same evidence that you go by. I'm going to go look in the mirror. You, you see me, I see me. I mean, what other, what other evidence do I have to fill this form out? So I said, I'm a black lesbian. <laughs> totally. I'm also in a wheelchair. You can't see it. You know, like women started wearing pantsuits 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. They started dressing like a man and everybody was like, you know, okay, you're still a woman, but you're, you want to be a man. Then you fast forward and there's guys wearing dresses. Mm-hmm. The women still wanted to be called women. The men now want to be called women mm-hmm. for dressing and putting some lipstick on and, right. and growing their fingernails out. Right. It's just odd. Yeah, it, it all falls apart. I mean, the whole watch thing is a perfect example because um, you could at some distance interact with a bracelet that's a that you call it a watch because it looks like a watch and you assume it's a watch but that's what's deceptive about it that's why it's not it's not useful yeah to, the to these problem people. of deception is inter- interesting right because there's going to be you're limiting your interaction and there's going to be a point in time you know that you find out the truth of the watch and it's yeah. going to be inconsistent with the presentation of the watch and that's called lying or concealment and yeah. so if that happens at a scale, I mean, you could imagine the abuse like um, any there must be particular act, um, actions um, taken against, let's say, a man who's uh, pretending to be a woman at a bar, picks up a guy. He's drunk. He doesn't realize it. Maybe maybe they present themselves quite convincingly, get back to an apartment and then realize a watch isn't actually a watch. That's going right. to that's going to be rageful. That's going to be violent potentially and so this this justification of misleading people and and on the on the guy under the guise that society doesn't accept you well no you don't accept the norms of society you know if if we argued that we should change all the red lights at the stop sign just because some people are colorblind we're, we're using exceptions to model the the logistical flow of reality that we all share that's mostly based in something objectively true, at least, you know, if, even if you wanted to go like, you know, naive, whatever, uh, you know, epistemic nihilism where you can't know for certain, it's like, at least we all agree that, yeah, that, uh, reality is a certain way. 
and then um, again, it's it, it's it's unfortunate. And this is where I'm compassionate is that it works against them because they're purposefully, yeah. deliberately inverting their who they are in the world and making it more difficult to participate in the world. And and yes. blame, but then the blame That's is on point. other people not bending the their fundamental that, yeah assumptions. You know, that is interesting that you've noticed that. Then the watch thing, I keep going back to that. It's like, what, what it would be it, to take that further. It'd be like if the watch was saying, this is what a watch always was. You were mm. just, it's like, well, no, the watch, the watch is, uh, what I, I think of is, you know, it tells time. Um, that's what its design is. Oh, that's a cis watch. A cis watch. What, what, yeah, what, yeah. I, what mm. is this new term you're you're foisting upon me? A cis watch. What mm. are you talking about? No, it's just a watch. Yeah. Don't try to get me to talk differently. I'm just, you know, I'm just using language. I'm just. Yeah, that's a English. trick. That's a trick. Yeah. I mean, they. That's how. That's what. I mean, this is in all of the inversion. This is in um, Bernays. This is a, probably Saul Alinsky's work too, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of this inversion of language. Um, this deconstruct everything, you know, to its core and then reestablish new things. Yeah, I mean, they did it with racism. Racism used to be specifically right. the, the ideology that your race it. is superior or inferior based on race or ethnicity alone. And then they just changed it to power plus privilege, which is not even true. I could have power and discriminate, discriminate against uh, um, small people. It's not racism, but I'm abusing my power. And so, um, not to know, mention it adds, it adds something that's so complex to the definition that you can't tell just by empirical observation now, because right. I can't, I can't see the history of oppression for any particular individual. Right. Right. You know, I, I can't, I can't look at you and go, oh yeah, he's black mm -hmm. because I know the exact history of every event that ever happened to him. Right. 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 You can't tell that just by no. looking at somebody. No, the categories. Yeah. The, that's why, that's why um, personhood is so important, you know, to bring it back to at yeah. least a Christian view is that you interact with people. There is an individualist level of truth. Uh, I reject it at some magnitude because eventually you can't just run around only being an individual and not taking in the fact that you do actually impact you can, as fa as fathers, especially you impact larger than your individual, you know, mm. on the daily. And so um, anyway, the the point is that. Right. Um, <laughs> I forgot. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just have this thought of like, I don't think it's a meme. You, you definitely not a meme. I don't think you've ever done. But but I just had this idea of how complicated it would be to be in the clan like hmm. under these new definitions of mm. racism, like um, you don't even know if you're black yet. Or like, mm. well, okay, hold on a sec. Uh, someone wants to be in the clan and, and like, they can't just look at you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have right. to just, like the guy could be just black as night as day, but yeah. his name is Clarence Thomas. Totally. And they're like, Oh, okay. You are believe in the original constitution. Okay. All right. Oh, mm. all right. We'll let you in. I mean, you're a little right. dark. You're a right. little dark. Yeah. But um, it's not based on that. It's not yeah. based on darkness. It's based on a history of oppression and your your political ideology. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I don't yeah, know the, if there's a way you can. No, there, there's something totally funny about that, because like the especially like um, the other way around where you're forcing people to hire people 
based on their color. I thought uh, taking that concept and putting it back to like medieval times where the king is hiring a new executioner and um, (laughs) obviously they have a mask on. So it doesn't matter their, their race, but they have to, they say, well, we were told we have to hire you based on your color. And it's just a mask, a black like mask. There's no one underneath. It's just, (laughs) I mean, that's the, that's kind of where we're getting to because if you're forced, the, 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 consequent there's a positive con- consequence to all this because the full circle is that if you have identity and you're forced to hire people and do all this stuff right all these quotas right you know get a, a person this race th- that race get an autistic person get a, a down syndrome person like all of these things but if the culture that is pushing that is also pushing the inversion of all identities um it eventually yeah. collapses because right. Uh, you're no longer abiding by this purest uh, rule of, of uh, you know, identity separate by race and color and height or whatever it be. And so it all collapses on itself. And so this is where you just watch it collapse. Like a lot of times you don't right. participate. You just look, you go, Oh, I could yeah. predict when this all collapses. It's, it's yes. when the language no longer applies to reality at all, where you can't use words anymore. Because not because they're not allowed, it's because they mean nothing. The yes, the, the meaning right. itself. That's right. that's right. Yep, that's exactly right. And can I ask you a question about your process? Uh, you do you just see the meme, or is there uh, <laughs> is there because uh, you've just said a lot of words, you said a lot of uh, thought there, and now. Is it like an abstract thing at first, or is it like just a simple visual? Uh, it starts with like a, a claim. It starts with a claim. So everything so I just said for you. Yeah, yeah, it starts that way because I'm, I'm talking about creating the meme. Creating yeah, was, the, the image. Yeah, it was, yeah it's, the image would then be a consequence of the the words. Like I did, I determine wow. what the words are going to be first because um, wow, for everything I just said. I can reduce at least one side of it to a particular claim that's short in length and just, um, you know, it'd be like a relativist thing. Um, someone making a silly claim in an absolute form of the ever changing nature of something. And then, uh, the other person, uh, responding by asking if it's true of that claim itself. Uh, You Mm -hmm. could see that as a meme right away is that, this absolute claim about the uncertainty and ever changing things about everything. Uh, once that's used on the claim itself, it's, it's rendered right. absurd. Right. So um, that's how right. I think about, uh, okay. about this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's an abstract process. And then at some point in that process, do you have the image in mind and then you just try to replicate that image or yeah. does the image kind of come out as you're drawing it? It's kind of both. I mean, if I think of the meme, it's usually in a dialogue form. So all I really need is two people. And then the rest is like personalizing the people and making sure they match the generality that would be uh, that most people would think of. And and that's where generalization is actually a good thing, where I do reject individuality uh, because (laughs) there is there is a generality. There is a, a general sort of lefty blue haired archetype you know, that, that can be largely duplicated, um, with some level of, uh, 
uh, variation, but but the meme itself, there are people who are memes. I'm probably my own meme that someone looks at and goes, oh, typical theist, you know, right winger. Like they think of a certain, <laughs> yeah, you know, and so those are true. Those are, I think those are, I would consider those things. Uh, it's a, it's a humbling thought. I've always, I've always thought it's a humbling thought that we're all just a short step away from a South Park episode, right? Our own South Park episode. That's right keeps us humble speaking of south park i think that's in colorado did you grow up in colorado no i grew up in the catskill mountains in new york oh cool yep that's awesome uh did you live in a so you lived in a rural area yeah small little town uh it was a ski resort so it got busy in the the uh winter but uh otherwise about i don't know between three and five thousand people i graduated my high school with like 32 people Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you still keep in touch with them? Only Anybody? some, very, very few, maybe like two with any uh, deep meaning. Did you, uh, did you have guns? Did you grow up with firearms? Are you comfortable yeah. with those? You're not yeah. afraid of guns? No. Interesting. Um, um, did you have a sense of humor growing up or is mm-hmm. that something you developed later? Uh, probably both. I mean, I, I have three older brothers, so I think I used... <laughs> comedy but i i developed shock uh let's say Mm -hmm. this i used shock to protect myself from my brothers like if they weren't if they were unsure of what i was going to do that was a better tactic than using muscle or force yeah Uh, just the uncertainty like oh that guy's that guy's weird i don't know what he's going to do um at least that's how it occurred in my mind they may have not even picked up on it but i um so the shock then turned into, well, how do I make people laugh using shock? And so I spent a good time of my life just doing meaningless shock humor um, and, and stuff like that. And then uh, again, as I, as I told you before, that it was only until I started drawing memes and thinking about truth and politics and, and religion and worldviews that I, I tabled my shock element but I still use shock. It's just that it's now tied to something a little more fundamental. Was uh, reading encouraged in your family growing up? Did you did you guys have philosophy books laying around? No. Did, did no, you know no. any philosophers? No, no. I was a dumb hick. Uh, <laughs> just a. I was also a jock in high school, so um, I was more of like Whoa. I was artistic, but I was mind a, blown. I, I was kind of a bully, actually. Um, you know, because I was. What was like your the, sport? Uh, uh, three sports: baseball, basketball, and soccer. Wow. I never would have, uh, yeah, I was, I was very into athletics. Uh, and so that was like my identity actually was interesting. (laughs) I knew I could do art. I knew I was, there was something else more intellectual that I was interested in, but I excelled at sports. And so my, you know, that was my identity in high school. It was like, kind of like the funny jock, I was popular, but I was also sometimes uh, unnecessarily like mean to people. Gotcha. And you were developing your artistic skills even at that time, just for fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was definitely drawing. I think before reading or, or writing, I was always, always drawing. So I was behind on a lot of reading and language itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was a, I was inhibited by that um, in school. Um, so I, f- I wasn't very good at, at reading. So even today I struggle reading um, because my visuals come in and then I get ideas and then my ideas trail me off the page and I go, why would I read this? 
if I can just now make the thing that I've already derived from the, the reading, um, again, um, I come back to it, but it, it, it's sometimes frustrating with have a wandering brain that it's almost like impulsive. Like you cannot, um, yeah. compulsive, you can't, you can't control your urge to then draw the thing that just came to your head. Yes. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if other people have that in writing, even if they read something, they just get this itch and then they almost like there's, you drop everything. You just drop everything. You, you can't concentrate unless you get this idea out. That's how, that's how it goes for me. What position did you play? And I, I have to ask this for the one baseball fan we have or whatever, what, what, what position did you play in baseball? I was a pitcher. Uh, really? And, wow. And yeah. uh, cat, I was the catcher for a lot of times too. Um, not at the same time. No, no. <laughs> and then, uh, soccer, uh, striker. And I was, a, I was a violent striker, a violent striker, very aggressive with my, I would headbutt people. I would try as many, try to score as many goals with my head as possible. Wow. Uh, at the same time, you were the goalie. Just yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then basketball, I don't even know what the, the point, point guard, are. point guard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it, would you have any interesting jobs in high school? It was a um, tourist, tourist town, so must have been busy in uh, the summer. I did work for the ski resort uh, to rent the snowboard and ski rental for a while, and then I think right when I graduated, I actually did road crew. Uh, it was a that was a very difficult job at, at you know, seventeen. Um, you know, out in Albany on the highway you know, one job I had was, uh, I, they strapped me to a bridge, um, the sidewalk of the bridge and my job strapped to the bridge was to use my 80 pound, uh, jackhammer and jackhammer the sidewalk I'm standing on. Like, oh, wow. as I'm standing on it, taking no, it away yeah. as I walk. So, um, that was okay, my highest yeah. paying job at, at least in that, in that early, uh, range between in my, between my teens and my twenties, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was a high paying job, but it was it was uh very stressful. I mean, almost getting hit by trucks on the road and <laughs> digging ditches all day. And this is like wake up at 4 a.m., travel an hour and a half, start the job at 530 or six and then end at like 530 or six and drive home. I mean, this is a wow. 17 year old. No, there's I had like a two weeks of that. Um, Two but, weeks of it. Is that how long you lasted? Yeah, that was that was it. And so you took away from that that you don't want to do that kind of work. No, but that that's uh, that's a very valuable lesson. That's a very. It was fulfilling though. It was fulfilling. Yeah, it was fulfilling. It was just that at the time it's hard to develop a discipline. Yeah. Of just work at your seventeen, and you're in your prime, and you're you want to be athletic and social, and you want a girlfriend, and you want to do all these things, and you're in a job that pays you well, but you you have no life. Like there's no, wow. social, no. Um, but, uh, yeah. What brought you out to LA? We can uh, my best friend I played music with back in the Catskills. Um, we just decided one day we we're just going to take our guitars and do the whole road trip to LA and see what happens. You know, it's that whole naive um, rebellious stage where you think something glory like glory is going to happen you're going to be noticed you're going to you make it big someone's going to see you someone's going to see what you got and put you on a shelf um 
and that that illusion lasted for a while. You realize in LA that you're um, LA is a lot like Vegas. You you have this feeling that around the corner you're going to win big, but there's no justification for it. It's just a feeling. It's like a it's like the environment that you you saw someone who looks like they're winning. You don't even know they're probably in debt. Actually, <laughs> probably addicted to to drugs and on debt in debt. And uh, but you have this illusion and you keep chasing it, and then you see how. It's like a time warp. You wake up one day and you've been there for 15 years and you realize that nobody's tapping you on the shoulder. No one cares. You can just make what you make, do it, you know, and you don't need anyone's permission. You don't need to, you know, find a, the right producer. You just do it. And then once I realized that, uh, you don't have to be there. You don't have to be in LA to be an right. entertainer anyway. Yeah, that's true. So then you thought, how did you get the idea to go to Colorado then? Oh, my wife, Megan, uh, she grew up here. So when we were first dating and we visited, we were like, oh, this is because we were still like liberal, you know, uh, you know, everything's, you know, we're just she been on the same journey with you as far as philosophy and and faith. Yeah. Yeah. I think she was uh, held her faith closer, um, maybe. um, Than me, I I like I'd like to believe that I rejected. God. Why was she in LA then? Oh, just a similar thing. You just drive out and get a new life. You know, Want to get deal. noticed? Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So and and she and I uh, you, you guys got married there in LA. No, no, we did everything kind of reverse. We met and um, we actually had my our first child pretty quickly, actually, and then we started to patch up the. Um, the nonsense part of our lives that wouldn't contribute to our family and our relationship. And a lot of that was just LA based lifestyle. We just were like, okay, we got to go to Colorado. So we basically did like common law. We were going to have a proper wedding, but then uh, the pandemic nonsense started. And so we actually just took what we were saving and put it into my, the books and the company and everything like that. So cool. Uh, do you mind uh, if I ask you what part of Colorado? Parker. Parker. Cool. And your wife has a faith background. Mm-hmm. She grew up in church. So. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh, hold on one sec. We're back. Okay. So uh, appreciate you sharing that about your family. It's very, it's very helpful for us gives you a fuller sense of uh, the person I would have never known you were a jock <laughs> just cause, well, I guess it's the people I grew up with. Uh, my best friend growing up, you remind me of him. He was an artist. He was drawing since he was in third grade. He was constantly drawing. Uh, I guess they were memes. I guess you know, they were memes before they were memes and he was not a jock, but that was just him as an individual. So I guess I assumed, oh yeah, artists are not jocks. Mm. <laughs> so silly of me. Um, what were you going to say? Well, I, maybe we weren't, I wasn't a good, uh, good at being a jock. It was just like, I was good at sports, but there's like an actual like personality you associate with a jock, like, you know, sort of like meat heady, you know. You're you a know. very thoughtful jock. I mean, were you always thoughtful? No, no, I was just, you know, more bigoted. Now I'm just selectively bigoted. I'm actually not against bigotry. It's just that what the kind of bigotry you have to 
you have to dissect what views you're going to um, discriminate against and reject, right. you know, this idea of like big, you know, but I was just a loud mouth, just a chatterbox, you know, just um, anything I could do to make people laugh, even at the expense of other people. Yeah, I relate to that. I got in trouble a lot as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, well, it makes sense about the bigotry. Um, it, I mean, it's it's a little bracing when you say it that way, but it there's nothing wrong with saying it that way. Um, about here in L.A., I don't know if you're here in 08, when there was a Prop mm -hmm. 8 thing on the ballot. Mm -hmm. um, the the uh, redefining marriage movement said no hate, and it was no H and eight. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was on the campuses at that time where George Bush was president. Um, Schwarzenegger was a governor. And uh, I, I was like, you know, you're not just redefining marriage here. You're redefining hate because mm -hmm. hate now means disagreement. Right. Except when I disagree with you, that's hate. But when you disagree with me, you don't think that's hate. No. Because I was like, well, if it's just disagreement, then you hate me. Right. And so it's not no hate. It's yes hate. It's right. just your kind of hate. Right. And uh, I had a lot of people actually say, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. But I, I was like, well, okay, well, I guess you can't put that on a bumper sticker. No. Yeah. The, the absurdity there is so clear um, that you just, you know, when you can, when you have the opportunity to call it out and have someone actually hear it the way you did, just called it out, it's, it can be very useful, but I assume that a lot of people just have cognitive dissonance. They just go, no, my hate is just a fundamentally good hate. You know, it's like, right. you know, I'm in the good, you know, I know the common good. And uh, well, you're like, well, if you're really, have access to the what the good is why does it require you inverting every other aspect of truth and knowledge it's like you know you think you if you had access to the good you wouldn't need to change the meaning of words you could actually argue the good uh without inverting language and that's the that indication of satanism um even if the person's not <laughs> aware of it is that they're inverting truth what making sweet what is sad right. um up is down left is right and this this inversion tactic is quite useful for people with um at those ages they have very soft minds and they they go toward their feelings you know yeah. what they feel is right well we have a fallen nature our feelings don't tell us what's right you right. know i have i could have a vengeful feeling about someone and and right. just because i felt it doesn't mean it's good um but yeah, they just run with that stuff. I mean, they're so good at it. I mean, Black Lives Matter. It's like you literally named the organization a proposition, a statement that if you disagree with the organization, you disagree with the statement and vice versa. And that's purposeful. That is Alinsky technique. That is uh, crystallizing public opinion. That is it's um, it's basically establishing consensus about a premise uh, that you can't disagree with because using the term itself states a claim. Black lives matter. Right. Oh, I don't agree with them. Oh, so black lives, you know, it's like um, Noam Chomsky called this out before. Um, what did he say? Oh, oh um, freedom. Uh, what was the word? It was like spreading freedom. It was like, it was like a term 
for for the expansion of war right it was like but the term was like you couldn't disagree with the term because it sounded right. so so right. nice peace right. process that's what it was peace mm-hmm. process that was a peace mm-hmm. process and this language he's he's actually i disagree with all of his conclusions but when he isolates some of the tactics the the war like the the inversion of language the militarization of language is very strong especially in the last like two years with the pandemic the they turned everything into a war context with language. You notice that like the front yeah. lines, you know, the war on the, the, the boogeyman uh, thing, you know, that's going to get in your nose, the, the war on the people who aren't wearing their uniforms properly, you know, and this, and you see how uh, useful this is. This language thing is like, it's really powerful. And, and we just went over it with like the, the gender stuff, but it's yeah. really just rampant in every field now. Like yeah. even in science, redefining the scientific method to just be measurement and an observation alone, but no, yeah. no experiment. Right. That's true. That's that's happened. Yeah, in no science. open mind, no ability to question. Right. It's dogmatic. Um, and so uh, that language thing is really powerful, though. I'm, I'm so aware of it when I see it now. it is all it is all over i mean and and rhetorical skill is might be one of the the best skills for people to develop in order to think critically be just be aware um i remember an interaction i was having in a los angeles classroom a black lady was she was saying something to a classmate on calling the person uh, correcting them saying you mean sis what was it cis male or i can't remember but it was one of the first times i ever heard the word cis and i was like how do you spell that and she said uh, cis and i said well what's it mean and she said she actually didn't know she was just parroting what somebody said uh. so i said well i'm black and this prompted some laughter from the classroom and she said no you're not black i'm black and I said, no, you're cis black. I'm black. Right. And I mean, it's like, it just like, so, you know, that any term, you know, it's like you said left, right. You know, it's like, well, no, uh-huh. that's cis left. That's cis, right. right. <laughs> just like, just keep adding right. cis to everything. <laughs> but but the, the point, I, I think I'm going to run with that. Can I yeah. run with that with a meme? Yeah, Do. Oh, yeah totally. Yeah. Go for it, man. Yeah, that's I mean, really a good that's a really good insight at the, again, that rhetorical tool. You're actually doing a, a meta analysis in a way. You're just going, OK, well, we'll just take this paradigm and, and just right. apply it, you know, to well, everything. You we're know, we're supposed to use that term now. We don't you just said you don't know what it means. All I don't this, know what it means either. Do you want the <laughs> all of the cis chocolate? You know, you're in an ice cream <laughs> shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like so unnecessary. And then, it's, it's, and then you point at the vanilla and you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I changed my mind. I'll have the chocolate. Chocolate never. Yeah, I'll have the chocolate. Exactly. That's funny. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's vanilla. No, that's cis vanilla. That's like controlling. That's how you control the range of discourse, too, is like right. you define, you make the new parameters. And then the only way for people to argue is to first accept your your terms and agree on them. But I feel like a, a good tactic unless you're in the position you're in where you can have that dialogue uh um what do you call it you can examine it in that fun kind of back right. and forth right. you just have to reject the terms 
-hmm. You just have to reject the terms. Yeah, that's that's a good point that you made about having a dialogue. I don't know if you're, that's where you're going, but like in that classroom environment, I had already established some street cred with these kids. Yeah. And, I, you know, we'd banter back and forth and have fun and, and make them laugh about other things that don't have anything to do with politics. But right. But, you know, do funny voices and, and just act silly and stupid, basically. Right. right. Slapstick. I can do some pretty good slapstick run into doors and stuff nice but uh you know they, then then they kind of trust you trust you and then so when I, I was able to lead up to that they they knew i didn't mean any harm and that that fundamentally i come at it as an educator mm-hmm. and the point of education is to get people to think for themselves which is what i think you're doing you i mean you come at this as an educator have you ever thought of yourself as an educator no per se um no, I, but I do, I do acknowledge that educators need some level of discernment. And so my, I think my, my key gift from God is not necessarily drawing. It's, it's some level of discernment and being able to, to filter that down into small edible bits that people can take in. So, um, yeah, I would say I would call myself a discerner hmm. or like, a. There's actually a term that this guy, Jonathan Peugeot, he has a great like YouTube channel about like symbol symbolism and, and culture and tradition over time and words and language. And uh, how do you spell the last name? P-A-G-E-A-U, I think. Okay. Uh, and uh, he mentioned this term, a holy fool. Uh, I like that. Uh, I like the freedom of 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 pursuing something or of doing something in the name of what's holy and who's holy um and and but but being a fool about it is something like yourself the slap stick is the disarming part and it's not inauthentic it's not a manipulation it's just it's a it's an energy of who you are and so people get to know you that way now you get the honor of doing that in person a lot um sometimes my memes alone people will attack me and think something of me based on the meme and then I'll chat with them and then I'll win them over, not tactically, but just because I've just interact with them how I am. And so um, you I'm have not... an ability to laugh at yourself. Right. Yeah. I'll make yeah. fun of myself too. Yeah. I think that comes across. Um, I, I feel like I could have guessed that. Uh, and it's, I think it's a, it's really a charming ability for people. If they can laugh at themselves, I feel like I trust them better. Yeah. Like, cause I can laugh at myself and I see what a total idiot I can be. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, it's not always funny if like it has bad consequences, but, um, right. but yeah, I think it leads to trust Yeah, uh, because we're all just, when you look at us, South park is, is interesting too, because I'm, I'm just like, you could do a South park episode about anything, anybody like my community, anybody, cause we're just it's such an idiot you know we're just a bunch of idiots at some Mm -hmm. level Mm -hmm. you know well we really appreciate you coming on today yeah no problem bob we really appreciate you spending the energy and the time with us awesome anything else you wanted to add uh no if you're interested in my memes and my comics uh, again my website is made by jimbob.com and uh you'll see a variety of things uh in particular my book savage memes volume three is still has copies left and What's again those for? 40 bucks that's not bad no it's good it's how good many price. pages is it 100 100 comics 100 mm-hmm. cool 
Um, and they're all signed and uh, nicely packaged. Um, and yeah, there's well, other that's a stuff. Good idea. That's a good idea to sign them. Yeah. T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how much? Uh, how much do you think? Uh, uh, if someone was interested in commissioning you for um, a, a a painting or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, you can email me, made by Jim Bob at Gmail. Um, okay. gotcha. Do that, or go through the website. You can contact me through the website. Um, you can see also in the section of store, there's uh, one of a kind art. And you can click on that section and see some of the sizes. Again, all of my paintings, I, I use, this is an eight by eight, but I use this substantial one and a half oh, inch. Yeah. So you don't need frames for my oh, stuff. Oh yeah. It's that's nice really and, good. It's nice and bulky and you can hang it, hang it right up. Good to know. Yeah. How much does something like that go for? You think? Uh, these are like 200, the eight by eights. Okay. Any, any, yeah. any comic you like. It's a substantial thing. It's, yeah. it's durable. Yeah. I like that it's a good that you can hold in your hand. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, take care. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks a lot.